I say that? Yeah, yeah, yeah you can say yeah, that. I don't yeah. say, you can say, okay, whatever you want so, to say yeah. and are okay. comfortable saying. Mm-hmm. It's except, to go. except for the parts that we tell you not to say. Hi, this is Val. Avery. And Yasin. And you're listening to Educated But Confused. If you are interested in neuroscience, grad school, or just listening to people talk about random science stuff, this podcast is for you. As people who are educated, but also confused, we aim to bring on guests to elaborate on their experiences and provide a non-academic space to talk about science. When we say non-academic space, we mean that this is a space to have organic conversations surrounding science, as if you're chatting with a friend in a coffee shop. To maintain the integrity of the topics covered in this podcast, we will do a fact check. Consider this podcast the intersection where good science meets good conversation. Hello, listeners. Coming at you from Avery's apartment after a very long day, we are here. Uh, We want to kick things off with a couple of announcements. Firstly, on the technical side of things, we all got new mics. So each one of us has a mic and they're super hype. Uh, So we're excited (laughs) about that. Yeah, we also have new cover art. So if you noticed our first cover art, it's different from that one. Um, Yeah, my girlfriend saw that (laughs) our first image and then she was like, you know what? Let me just put something together for you guys. Uh, so yeah, hype it up. It's great. We're very excited about it. Ooh-hoo. Yeah, right. <laughs> it apparently takes a village <laughs> to start a podcast. It also takes a village to run a Twitter account. That I'm, I'm finding that out the hard way. Uh, you can find us on Twitter finally at the EBC pod. Uh, we're posting neuroscience facts. And uh, this is last week we posted a roller coaster ride that we got a picture of, which was pretty cool. I uh, got to go there with our guest for this week. For this month. Yeah. For this week, for this month, for whatever. It's late, guys. It really is. We're really coming at you at the end of our days. <laughs> um, yeah, so with that, we're introducing season one. This is the first episode of the season. It, as a whole, the season is focusing on grad school milestones. And so each month, there'll be a new episode where we talk with a current student about their experience with like said milestone. So we're so excited to have Kayla Howerton on for our first episode to talk about what it's like to start a new program and like come into that. Yeah, there was a fantastic episode, honestly. What a privilege to talk to Kayla and about her experiences, honestly. Yeah, Kayla Howerton, former audiologist, current (laughs) graduate student of two different PhDs and uh, dog mom extraordinaire. Yeah, she really has a unique experience and... I wish I had heard like some of the stuff that we kind of go over and talk about when I was applying and thinking about grad school. So without further ado, let's get into it. Yeah. Enjoy the episode. Today we have Kayla Howerton here with us, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Um, so yeah, we'll go around and we'll all say, or I guess I'll introduce myself and then I'll just tell you like, I mean, I already kind of told you earlier, but yeah. Uh, hi, my name's Avery. Pronouns they, them. And I forgot the. Oh, I'm educated in neuroscience. Um, yeah, I did my bachelor's in neuroscience and now my doctorate in neuroscience. Um, and I am confused. I was thinking about this. I'm confused about like bread and when to eat or not eat bread because in the summer, especially, I feel like bread gets moldy faster. And so, like, I'm very much someone who, if it's moldy, I will, like, if I see mold, I will throw the whole thing out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But. Makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. As you should. (laughs) 
my friend was like, mm, well, like it's kind of, there's always like some mold in bread. And so I don't even know. And so I was just like, oh my God. So I don't know sure anything about, about it. <laughs> and like, and so, yeah, like, cause there's like hard foods and soft foods mold. And like, if you have mold on like a hard food, mm. I've heard that you can just like cut off that part and no. still use it. But if it's a soft food, if you see mold, like you should just throw it out. But like, Interesting. yeah, my friend was just saying, oh, well, bread always has mold anyway. Like some molds, like we don't know a lot about molds and like it could even be like good for you or something. But like if you look it up, it tells you to throw it out. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> that makes intuitive sense, I feel like. Yeah. So like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if you guys had feelings or feel the same way about just throwing it out. But it did make me feel more confused about mold and foods and like my reaction and whether or not I should like dive into like what it means and when or not it's okay to like eat something that has mold on it <laughs> yep so that's it and then i'm drinking a pineapple kombucha and i yeah i chose it i was inspired by val's kombucha the last time and i just chose pineapple because it sounded nice and yeah i appreciate the shout out <laughs> so we can just go around table maybe end with kayla so naturally okay um i'm yasin um i'm educated in biomed engineering but now i am in neuroscience getting educated in neuroscience uh my pronouns are he him uh what i'm confused about this is always <laughs> evolving on the day-to-day -day, but um this week is anterior design and neuroaesthetics so I was listening to a podcast about neuroaesthetics. It was like the psychology of why things are pleasing. Oh, and so okay. some people are better attuned at anterior design and like how the configuration of your house should be set up because they've trained their certain brain regions and being like, like understanding patterns and what is pleasing to the eye. So mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, how do I get to that level? Because my house is not very pleasing to me personally <laughs> and i care about it so i'm wondering if i can learn to like better my anterior design so i can start purchasing like paintings yeah. and like other objects around the house oh, gotcha. there's some houses you walk into and you're like oh my god like right. wow you like took the time it's all so pristine i feel that way when i walk into your house oh my god <laughs> yeah, For real. that's like, the highest compliment <laughs> thank you but but definitely like I, I when i walk into my space i'm like feel like I could do things different. I right. just don't have the, the brain for it. You know? Exactly. So I'm hopefully trying to train myself because my only training is my dad and he just likes to go to Stuff's and Goodwill and buy a bunch of <laughs> random crap and put around the house. So that was my environment. So I'm like, I know that's bad, but I don't know what's good. So we'll learn. Um, and yeah, I'm drinking a cold brew because, um, yeah, it's got caffeine and I like the taste. <laughs> it's a little bitter, a little... Savory, I don't know. Nice. Maybe it's not savory. But <laughs> yes, thank you. All right. Uh, well, I'm Val, educated in psychology, health, and mathematics. Um, he, him, his has pronouns. And let's see, confused about this week is Twitter because I took up managing our Twitter account, which, by the way, at the EBC pod, all lowercase. So go ahead and give us a follow. Anyway, uh, I, I think I, it's case sensitive. No. Yeah. yeah no. Oh. But anyway, it's all Sorry. it's all lowercase. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, confused about that because like I had a Twitter I don't know years ago 
um, and didn't have it for very long because I had no idea what I was doing, and I still don't know what I'm doing. So, still confused about Twitter. Uh, I'm currently drinking water, but I was downgraded because I'm <laughs> because I'm a menace to society. Uh, I started off with pomegranate juice because I read this is not backed by science. I read on Google not peer-reviewed uh <laughs> that <laughs> pomegranate juice can help with blood pressure like lowering blood pressure and that's something i've been very concerned about lately um but i downgraded from pomegranate juice which i spilled all over avery's lovely table and uh i'm now drinking water so there we go Good <laughs> okay i'm kayla my pronouns are she her hers i'm educated in audiology and being educated in neuroscience yeah, I'm generally confused about everything. <laughs> Pretty much how I feel. Uh, that imposter syndrome is super real. So, yeah. And then I'm drinking water and a mimosa because why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is there more behind the reason for drinking mimosa, mimosa selection? I oh, love yeah. mimosas. And I feel like any time of day is a good time of day for a mimosa. Mm. You know, you mm. get the healthy orange juice. So really, you're doing yourself the favor. <laughs> so, yeah. This is true. Yeah. 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 So, bottomless mimosas. Shout out to bottomless mimosas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah especially with brunch. <laughs> yes. I feel like brunch. I was just going to ask you what's the most ideal time to have a oh, mimosa. Oh, brunch. Absolutely. Sunday brunch. Yeah. <laughs> the perfect pairing does it have to be sunday or can it can be any day any day oh, okay. any day is perfect for brunch right. yeah absolutely but sunday is like ideal you know yeah because not sure why it's just the rules it just feels right yeah yeah that's yeah. fair not to ask you too many mimosa questions but <laughs> do you prefer champagne or prosecco or does it matter to you like <clears throat> you know it doesn't matter I, I, I need a good quality orange juice, though. So the, Okay, so I'm glad I got the, the nice orange juice. You got the nice orange juice. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's about, favorite. really. Thank you. Yeah. Nice. Now, yeah. I had a question for Val and his interior design. Oh, yeah. When you say you walk into your space, are you judging my space as well? Dun, 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 dun. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to so. preface that Kayla and Val live in the same house. We live in the same home. <laughs> it's, it's, Kayla's, it's Kayla's home. Uh, and I, so I feel uh, like you're judging my home. And, no, no. When I walk into my the bottom, oh, no. the, oh, the, the, the bottom bo- house. where the part okay. of the house okay, that, okay. in which I live, we open uh, the, 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 yeah, the part of the house in which I live. When I walk into that space, I'm like, damn, oh, what, what can I do okay. different? All right, yeah. fair, fair. But when I walk into your space, I'm like, damn, they got it together. Oh, good, yeah. good recovery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I work well. Uh, picking up the sticks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Getting out of the trenches. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, should we jump into it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, our like topic, our topic for today, are like, you know, we brought you here because we wanted to have someone talk about like their your first year in the neuroscience program. Damn. And you know, we wanted someone to represent like coming into a new program and what that is like, both yeah. on the application side, just like why you'd want to do something and being in your first year of a program. And obviously you have a unique journey and mm-hmm. that you've started. This isn't your first time starting a new program. No, like you said, it's not my first time. I have applied to, I actually have my AUD, which is a clinical doctor of audiology. Um, so that was the first grad program I applied to way back in the day. 
bit older. How far back are we talking? Way back in the day. Okay. All right, all right. Way back. Yeah, Let yeah, me yeah. tell you, when I applied for grad school, you still had to mail in your applications. Oh, gold. Yeah. Wow, so gold. you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I actually had to mail in my applications, but I thankfully did um, McNair Scholars, which mm. is a PhD prep program. So even though I wasn't applying for a PhD, it was really helpful because we took a whole summer to study for the GRE. Mm-hmm. And we had to create our own research uh, topic yep. and project and carry it out and then present it at a national conference. So, yeah, it gave wow. me a lot of experience to apply to grad school. And then, yeah. And that was in your undergrad? That was in my undergrad. Okay, yeah. very cool. Mm-hmm. Did, you apply, did you apply right out of your undergrad? I did. And started right I out started of right out, yeah. So I applied... You apply the fall before you want to go, right? And then um, as soon as I graduated, I moved states and started grad school right away. So, yeah, it was it was good. Yeah, but I was really young, so. Yeah, when did you know that you, like, were interested in potentially even pursuing, like, an audiology degree at that time? Mm. I was undeclared for a long time. And I thought I wanted to do med school. And then my dad was like, yo, there's this program where you can uh, help people who have strokes talk again. And I was like, that kind of sounds cool. Mm -hmm. So it was speech therapy. And the undergrad is typically speech therapy and audiology combined. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I moved, went to this university, started studying speech therapy and audiology and realized that I hated speech therapy because it's very gray area where audiology is very black and white. So I was like, maybe I'll do audiology. But then my very good family friend ended up having an acoustic neuroma, Mm. which is a benign tumor on the eighth cranial nerve. And when they resect it, it causes you to lose your hearing. Mm -hmm. So after her surgery, I went with her to all of her appointments and discovered like, okay, audiology might be the thing for me. But I, even in audiology school, I was like, I don't know if this is for me. I keep switching back and forth. Maybe I should go to med school. Maybe I should get a PhD. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very relatable, like, yeah, maybe med school, maybe PhD, like, struggle. Yeah. I definitely think that's a big struggle with a lot of people. It's like, I, I think I would love med school, just the rigor and the knowledge that you learn. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I would love that absolutely. But then practicing is where I found out I don't love. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what um, in your timeline? What did you do after your audit? Um, you got your AUD. After my AUD, I started working clinically, mm. and I. So the fourth year of the AUD is all clinicals. So mm-hmm. you pick a site, kind of like a fake residency, if you will, because you pick a site, you stay there for a whole year, you do you know, 40 hours a week of clinical work and that's all you do. So in my fourth year, I wasn't loving it. And so I thought maybe it was just the location because I was in a super busy ENT practice and we had like nine docs. What is ENT? Oh, ear, nose and throat. Sorry. Ear, nose and throat office. (laughs) And we had nine docs. And so it was really busy. Whoa. And so I thought maybe I just didn't like that. So then I moved to California. Oops. California. Can I say that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's so many. Okay. Yeah. I moved to California. Okay. I moved to California to do intraoperative neuromonitoring, which essentially just means that during spine or 
neurosurgeries, I monitored the nerves to make sure that the surgeon didn't cause permanent damage. So like, especially during spine surgeries, I'd be like, okay, you know, we're getting some activity back off that area a little bit, um, things like that. So I honestly loved the job, but I hated the hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So surgery life is super hard. What were the hours like? Um, so I was on call every day. So that was hard. Um, and then, um, like certain spine surgeries were 13 hour cases. So like during those cases, you can't eat or drink or use the restroom. Like you have to just be in the OR. So, and I'm like, I'm somebody who wants to eat every two hours. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so that was super hard. Um, but so then I left that to work for the army. Can I say that? Yeah, 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 you can say, yeah, that. Yeah. can say. You can say. Okay, whatever you want to say, yeah. and are okay. comfortable saying. Mm-hmm. Except, <laughs> except for the parts that we tell you not to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Fair. You should just know those. Yeah. Just know <laughs> those. Yeah. Uh, so I worked for the army as a hearing conservationist, um, and out of all the like audiology jobs, that's the best one I think I've done because it's a lot about patient-centered care. So I could provide the best care to my patients without second guessing, like if their insurance would cover it or like, you know, could they afford this type Mm -hmm. of deal? So I loved that aspect of it, but I just was so bored. (laughs) What? Because soldiers are bored? No, soldiers are bored. No, that was definitely (laughs) the most interesting part. Because my feelings are hurt. (laughs) No, soldiers are super interesting. They told me lots of good information. Yeah. (laughs) No, um, because I was doing just the same thing day yeah. in and day out. Mm. So that was super Cookie hard. cutter. Kind Cookie of cutter. Everything was the same in and out. So, yeah. But then I decided that, like, that November, I was like, hey, Julie, my wife, I really want to go back to school because I think I really want to teach. Mm. And so I started looking for schools that only didn't require the GRE because I wasn't going to take that again. Oh, I already, I already no had chance. to take it from my AUD. It was intense. I hated it. I wasn't going to take it again. So then I found a couple schools that didn't have it listed. So I was like, cool, I'm going to apply to those schools. And I did. But in the middle of the process, I found out that where I'm going now actually requires the GRE. So I had three months to study or no, three weeks. Sorry, I had three, three weeks, weeks to study for the GRE and took it in my basement of my home and was it during the pandemic it was during the pandemic so you had to take oh. it at home and, like with your own computer Don't i've got a me. killer gre story oh <laughs> well you can keep it no. short but okay like... so yeah <laughs> took the gre applied but i knew i wanted to go where i'm going now so it was worth it gotcha yeah. what's your gre story oh yeah i so the gre story i also took mine during covid mm-hmm. uh and there was a fire in southern oregon um yeah, there was a there was a fire, oh, and no. uh, at the time I was attending a university in Southern Oregon that uh, put me sort of like right on the cusp of whether or not I needed to uh, dip out, like how close the fire got. Uh, I what I can't remember the word for that. Evacuate. Evacuate. Oh my god. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, no, 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 no. This oh, was okay. this was okay. This was like a week before I was scheduled to take the GRE. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. So. We evacuate and we move. We went to my buddy's now ex girlfriend, uh, her grandma's house. We went there and hung out for like two days. Um, now my GRE date is, you know, less than five, it's like four days away or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, we stay an extra day just to be safe. 
we get there um the next day i took the gre and we were still on evacuation like we were still like alert we were still making sure the fire wasn't spreading and so i'm in there like man i hope i don't lose electricity <laughs> or have to pack up all my computer parts again and evacuate my home. <laughs> minor. Yeah, just minor my ticket yeah. into grad minor. programs. I need no to do pressure. This. Your house might burn down. Yeah. But please take no the pressure. No <laughs> pressure. Uh, and I ended up not doing great. Shocker. Um, yeah. And then I think only one school required it. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. no one so, wanted it. Right. Because <laughs> nobody wanted it. And yeah. the, the one school is like, come on. Come yeah. on. It's not a great test anyways so. yeah but that's a different soapbox for different another day soapbox. yeah for real <laughs> yeah. so that brings you to the place Current you're at case. now yeah. uh-huh. but you have a unique case where you entered one program if i'm not mistaken yeah into now neuroscience if you want to elaborate on that yeah so i started out in speech and hearing which is part of communication sciences and disorders so essentially audiology and speech language pathology okay so it connects to your previous work yep connects to my previous work um but i actually got accepted into a different school and that school offered me both the speech and hearing phd and neuroscience phd okay but they didn't have the mentor that i wanted and mm. the mentor that I have here is phenomenal. And I really, I mean, everything that he's doing aligned with the work that I wanted to do. So I didn't want to give that up. So I asked right. if I could do both. And so we contacted the director of the neuroscience program, had a, a meeting, talked about it. And, you know, he said I could apply. So I applied. So first I started my first year as um, a CSD speech or CSD is communication sciences and disorders. Mm. So I started my first year as a CSD student. I took some neuroscience courses and then I applied last or this last fall and I got in. So now I'm a, to, the neuro. to the neuroscience program. So I'm a first year neuroscience student and a second year CSD student. So, yeah. Very cool. That sounds very fun. Cool. So yeah. are you going to add another degree to that on top of it? Uh, I'm doing what? a certificate in college teaching. <laughs> so you have like <laughs> nice. three tracks just I've going together. Tracks going on. Yeah. Um, I don't recommend it. Really? It's so stressful. It's, it's so much work. It's yeah. Cause I have to do two comprehensive exams, two prospectus oh, meetings right. and two dissertations. Yeah, you oh can't just merge God. everything. I, you can't merge. So nothing merges. So I have to do literally two separate PhD tracks and then at the same time. At the same time. And Incredible. it's uh it's killing oh my me. God. I can't yeah. even do the one right now. <laughs> <laughs> Will you tell us just like the breakdown for when you did your audiology degree and now in your two programs, like how funding works and has worked oh, for you? Because gosh. I feel like that yes. is so confusing. It's so it was, confusing. Yeah. So unfortunately, most clinical degrees are not funded. Because okay. the money comes from research and oh, the research yeah. gets grants and the grants is what funds it. Mm-hmm. So most clinical work is not funded. So I paid out of state for my AUD. Thankfully, I worked all four years. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. <laughs> Thankfully. Ooh, that was fun. <laughs> um, so I ended up with half the amount of loans that I expected, but I still ran up a great debt, about 120000 Oh my god! Student loans. So, um, what did you work like? Well, what job? I was a research assistant. Oh, okay, okay. And a teaching assistant um, for the three years. In the fourth year, my externship was paid. Nice. Yeah. I mean, minimum wage, but it was paid, and I lived with my parents. (laughs) So it's super helpful. I'll take what I can get because most externships are not paid. So it's yeah. 
So there's no funding and it's terrible because the return on investment for audiology is super low. Starting out is like the first job I got out of my doctorate was I got paid, offered 52,000. Not a postdoc, a full on audiologist licensed yeah. and everything. 52. 52. I negotiated ridiculous. up to 55, but <laughs> still <laughs> ridiculous for yeah. a doctorate. For yeah. a doctorate. It's terrible. Now I think the starting is like 60 to 65, but still that's pretty bad. Comparatively. Considering yeah, that comparatively. you have $120,000 in student loans. Right. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, no funding there, but thankfully the nice thing about the CSD degree is that my PhD for them is getting funded. It's a pot of money. Mm-hmm. So everybody throws a little bit of money into this and they guarantee funding for their students. Who is everybody? Oh, sorry. Good call. Um, <laughs> So every tenured professor in this department throws in a little bit of their grant money. Oh, okay. As a collective. As a collective. Okay. And so everybody funds the students. It's a great idea. That's so it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, because now you don't have to worry about if your PI loses funding, what's going to happen. So everybody's guaranteed that funding for four years. And then your fifth year, you have to just apply for an extension, which is usually granted. Not a big deal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so everybody gets guaranteed funding whether your PI loses a grant or not, or like the grant runs out or not. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, really great versus the neuroscience PhD, your PI has to fund yeah, you. Yeah, solely just one. Solely your PI. Wow. And so, you know, if your PI runs out of grant money, then you have to find, you got to apply for money on your own. You got to look for TA ships and things like that. So it's a little bit more stressful. So right. I, I really enjoy that the CSD degree um, is funded that way. Yeah. I've never heard of that actually. And I feel like if students are struggling, they could bring that up to their PI or their department as a whole and be like, could we implement this? Yeah. People chip in. I don't know. Have y'all heard of that? No, this is the first time hearing of it. I feel like everyone should do it. Like I know that, or I knew that some programs like fund you through their own money. So I guess that would be like the pot of money Mm -hmm. type of, I don't know. And then like, other programs you would like apply directly to a PI who has funding for you. And like the neuro program, the first year the program funds you. And then after that, yeah. your PI will fund you. Which is stressful. Yeah. It's really stressful. Yeah. But if you really like a PI that doesn't have funding. Yep. Then like, they then can't you're take kind you. of SOL. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Funding. It's always a stressful experience. It's a stressful experience for sure. Funding yeah. is the worst. It comes through. It usually comes through the the teaching assistantships, right, and the research assistantships. If you're lucky, graduate assistantship. I guess luck, I should I say know. Lucky, <laughs> I get. Yeah, I should note that the CSD requires you to be a teaching assistant every semester. So while oh, okay. the neuroscience doesn't require that, the CSD degree does. So gotcha. I guess like you still have a TA ship every semester. So um, that's I guess one extra thing you have to add on. But it's nice to know that you're still fully funded. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Very cool. So with these, like your two PhDs and your teaching certificate, is there a lot of overlap with your work and what you're doing or is it completely dissociated? No, I can. If you want to elaborate. Yeah, I can only share 18 credits between the two. So each PhD requires 72 credit hours to graduate. Mm -hmm. And I can only share 18 credit hours between the two. Not a lot of overlap. Not a lot of overlap. No. (laughs) Um, The nice thing with the teaching certificate that kind of gets built into my CSD PhD. So okay. yeah, that, you know, those credit hours count towards my CSD PhD. So that's really nice. 
but it also counts towards some of the requirements for neuroscience. Mm -hmm. So, um, I guess there's a little bit more overlay than it sounds, but credit wise, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. What about the research itself? Yeah. So I have, like I said, two dissertation projects. So I have to split my time between both dissertation projects and, Mm -hmm. um, they're completely separate from each other. So there's no overlap there. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. How does that feel? Like having your head in these two completely Um, different super fucking stressful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's a lot. Um, sometimes I can't keep it straight. Like what am I doing today? What project am I on? Like, what do I have to write for this one? So um, it takes a lot of organization, but I think it'll be fine. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. (laughs) What, uh, what's your timeline for completion of both of these? Are you trying to complete them both simultaneously? Yeah. I'm trying to complete them both at the same time and I'm trying to bust ass and do it all in six years for both of them. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, we'll see if that happens. My teaching certificate will be done this semester. Okay. That's so nice. that will be out of the way. <laughs> that was only 12 credit hours, but still it'll, it'll be out of the way. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I'm hoping to finish my CSD PhD in two more years. So three years total for that PhD mm-hmm. and then my neuroscience PhD in four more years. So five years total. So maybe five to six years. We'll see if it happens, but that's the plan. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> my that's PI intense. is on track with me. So we're going to try to crank it through. Cause like I said, I'm much older and I feel like I need to just get back into the workforce. Cause I worked for five, six years mm-hmm. before I came back to school. So, um, yeah. How often do you feel that pressure to get back into the workforce? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the, the stipends are great, but it doesn't cover my living expenses. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, then it falls on my wife and I feel like that's not fair. Right. So, yeah. 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 I was wondering like how it has been for you, like having a partner, like while you're in grad school and like, I guess it sounds like there's some intersection between just like age and like also, I don't know, like coming into grad school being like older than the average student age, like that experience. Cause I imagine like living expenses are like slightly different now than they would be if you're coming in like much younger. For sure. If you, yeah, if you're coming in solo and you're young, you're used to living like that college dorm life or whatever Mm -hmm. you can just pick some you know crappy apartment that you don't care about and pay really cheap but we um we have two large dogs that require a backyard and a doggy door (laughs) (laughs) the most adorable dogs (laughs) love those two and so we had to have a house so like that that was just no like we can't get rid of our dogs we've had them for nine years like Mm -hmm. you know that's yeah. non-negotiable. <laughs> no, yeah. They're coming with. <laughs> you're coming with. They're coming with and they get the best treatment of it. So we had to have a house. But yeah, when I talk to other students, it's hard because I feel like I'm their mom versus like <laughs> a colleague. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, did you get enough sunscreen on? Like, have you had enough water today? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, well, who needs kids when you have your cohort? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Every cohort needs a good mom. 
I, I feel like, yeah, I'm the mom of it. And that's okay with me. Like, I'm okay being the mom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But do you feel like it maybe um, helps with stress that you are now doing these two degrees with a partner? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because um, she'll take on like the cooking and she'll help out with cleaning and she'll help out with the dogs. That gives me a lot of time to just focus on my studies. Mm -hmm. And also she's a phenomenal writer. So whenever I'm stuck on something, Mm -hmm. she'll help me out. Clutch. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. She's, she's phenomenal at writing. So especially emails, I'm like, help me out here. (laughs) So professional. So professional. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard some of those. Uh-huh. They're good. <laughs> I, I only ask this because from people that I've taught, I've heard two sides of the story. You know, you want to have uh, a solid partner throughout your studies because that helps you in that regard. But other people are like, oh, it's a distraction. Like trying to find mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, a potential partner while you're going through this really stressful experience. So just interesting to hear yeah, your, I could your see perspective. That because you want to carve out time for your partner. Right. Like, and that's hard to do. But um, my wife is an instructor and so she teaches full-time at the university and so she's always busy grading because she doesn't have a TA so she's really busy grading and doing like course prep so it's kind of nice we can just work together in the same office and get things done and that's our hangout time (laughs) (laughs) super romantic Sometimes I'll come upstairs and I'll see one at the computer and I walk in and I'm like, oh, there's another one in <laughs> laying in the bed that's in the room. Yeah. And both of them are just click, 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 click on their laptop <laughs> or on the computer. And the dogs are hanging out there too. And I'm like, dang, I'm the only one not working apparently. Yeah, <laughs> and then I go downstairs and zone out on my own work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's hard though to carve out time for a partner as, as, as somebody who's had that issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first year was especially difficult and I right. had a really hard time with one of my relationships. Um, but I think, I think there's value in having somebody who's there to support and, and understands your time and, and whatnot. And I'm experiencing that now with my new partner, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I see the dynamic and you and Julie, like, <laughs> you two rock it. You're Thanks. great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering earlier, like, what your experience being queer in, like, grad school environments has been. Cool. And if, like, that has impacted where you go mm-hmm. or apply or, like, all yeah. of Yeah, yeah. Being queer in a program is difficult. I had a lot of problems with my AUD. Um, there was a certain... Oh, gosh, how many years ago is this? So I did my AUD from 2012 to 2016. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was already repealed. Gay marriage was already legalized. Mm-hmm. Like, it Well, in 2015. Sh- oh, right? 2015. Yeah, I guess that's true. So it wasn't... It wasn't until <laughs> the end. Yeah. Darn. It was in the works. It was in the works. <laughs> yeah. People were kind of like, yeah, we should, we should <laughs> give people basic human rights. Um, <laughs> that seems to be always the problem. That's always the problem. Yeah. So there was one student in the program that felt that I shouldn't be allowed to see pediatric patients being queer. Hmm. And so she actually petitioned that I shouldn't be allowed to do that rotation. Shh which means that I wouldn't be able to get my degree because you have to have so many hours and so many different venues, I guess. So, um, yeah, she was, it was, it was really interesting. It was really difficult because that was Oklahoma and I, 
Everybody's just like, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, I was <laughs> I was really worried about coming to Iowa. Um, just because I that was never a place on our radar for Julie and I to move. Yeah. Same. <laughs> in the in the Midwest, it's a little bit, you know tougher for gay couples especially my my wife i'm like straight passing yeah but my wife is very lesbian (laughs) yeah she's got the great haircut she's got the outfits like Mm -hmm. so um but we didn't think we'd ever move here but i knew one my pi was here and that's who i really really wanted to study under Mm -hmm. and when we had a conversation and he asked me you know, what does my husband do? And I said, actually, it was my wife. He said, I'm so sorry for assuming gender. And so I was like, okay, I know this is going to be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Like, uh-uh. I, you know, you don't hear that a lot. And I was like, that was so, like, responsible of him to say. So I felt really comfortable coming here to study under him. That's awesome. And he's been great. He's so been wonderful. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I literally couldn't ask for a better mentor. Like, he's so supportive and so understanding. And I've had many a breakdowns with him <laughs> some just within the last week some within the last week <laughs> uh, many a breakdowns and he's just super supportive and understanding and calm and helps me through them so yeah i i think this was absolutely the right choice for me i've met his family and they're yeah they're wonderful so do you feel like you're a more lenient grader during that time Ooh. <laughs> no i'm i'm a really hard grader like i know this <laughs> i'm kind of an ass <laughs> like I it's totally you. know this about myself. I know I'm a hard grader because I have really high expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I don't think I was any lenient. I was just more like enjoy. I enjoyed grading a little bit more at the time <laughs> versus like being lenient. I wonder like how kind of moving more into like your work and like what your interests are. Um, like how did you pick an advisor just generally? Like how did you even identify mm-hmm. the person mm-hmm. that you're working with? Yeah, now? that's hard. Um, I knew that I wanted to do, so I knew I was going to apply to a CSD degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I filtered out all those and there's not that many PhD programs in CSD. So there's that. And then I knew I wanted to do a neuroscience lens before mm-hmm. I knew I could actually do a neuroscience PhD. I knew I mm-hmm. wanted to do a neuroscience lens on everything. And so I started just going through each university's faculty and reading their bios and what they do research in. And then I picked out the three or four that actually had my interest and I emailed them and set up interviews. Um, That was one thing that we learned from McNair is like emailing the professors directly and telling them Mm, that you're interested in their research. Yeah, huge. And when did you do that? Like time-wise? Because you said you applied the fall before. Yeah, so I started emailing people in November of 2021 and you applied. Oh no, 2020. I'm sorry. 2020. And then you applied. I applied December of 2020. Okay. So you were emailing people like right before I was because mm-hmm. I made the decision that I wanted to go back like late October. Oh, it was like mm-hmm. right before Halloween. I was like, <laughs> babe, 
I got to go back to school. Like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> you jumped gotcha. in right during crunch time. I yeah. did. I was, it was crunch time. I don't recommend that. Like plan your stuff yeah. out, people. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I started reaching out to people like the summer before. Yeah. Right, same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do think that's a really good point to bring up, like reaching out to people because I didn't yeah. know that to you until no, I was told. That's so huge, actually, because I had a top five universities that I was going to apply mm-hmm. to. And after reaching out, it dropped it down to like two. Yeah. And I had to repick places that I would want to go. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. It's super important. It did. I, I dropped at least four universities yeah. after reaching out. And so mainly because they're like, oh, no, we're not accepting students right. or I won't accept students for another two years mm. or that person no longer does research. So it's super important, like r- reaching out to the people that you want to do research with and having a talk with them and being honest about like what your goals are and what their goals are. And do you do you mesh even? Because there was a couple PIs that I reached out to that I thought would be great, but then like we just really didn't mesh at all during the interview, and, mm-hmm. and come to find out our goals didn't align, so mm-hmm. I dropped that university. Yeah. So, yeah, that's good. Like an extra step of filtering. Yeah. Oh yeah, you, you know. need that for sure. I feel that they don't. Yeah, I, I didn't hear about that. I mean, I only applied to one program because I knew the mentor I have now is the mentor that I wanted to yeah. pursue school, but that's, I've never heard of that. So it's important to know. I honestly didn't think I was going to get in. So I applied to three schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Safety net. Safety nets. Yep. Yeah. I applied to like 16 schools. I was going to oh say three, three is yeah. low. One is <laughs> three super is low. low. One yeah. is ridiculous. Um, I applied to six, which is still considered low. Really? Well, when oh. I applied for my AUD, I applied for six. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And then when I applied for my PhD, I applied to three because mm-hmm. those are the only three I want. And those are the only three that were funded. Yeah. I wasn't about to go back and do a PhD if it wasn't funded, which you shouldn't. Right. Don't do that. Don't do that. If you get admitted without funding, like, say no thank you. Um, And then... Money for that. Yeah. Yeah. To come in with money already. Yeah. When I applied for neuroscience PhD, I only applied to the one. Tell us a little bit about your research. In, like, the easiest terms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I cry in the lab. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, such good research. It's we my also favorite. have a recliner, so I also take naps in the lab. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yep. really nice what I do. I was saying you could come to my lab oh, yeah. and actually take a nap in a bed. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. PhD in napping? <laughs> PhD napping? Do we got that? No. Um, so, again, my dissertations are two pretty different topics. So, for my CSD dissertation, I'm looking at musicians. And I want to know what neural mechanisms are utilized for musicians when they're listening to speech and noise. Hmm. So speech and noise is commonly one of the most complained about issues for people with hearing loss. And even with hearing aids, they tend to super struggle with any kind of speech and noise or any kind of adverse listening conditioning. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, some research has shown that musicians are better at listening in speech and noise, but then some other research has shown that there's really no difference. Mm-hmm. So rather than showing if they're better at it, I want to see if they use different neural mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to compare them with non-musicians and non-musicians who have noise exposure because musicians have a lot of noise exposure. So they... Musicians might have more um, like peripheral damage in their ear that would typically cause them to have more difficulty in speech and noise. What is like peripheral damage? Yeah. So 
in your ear, you have a cochlea, which looks like a snail. Mm -hmm. And in that snail, you have little hair cells. And those hair cells help transduce sound into neural like neural impulses. Mm. So um, with noise exposure, those hair cells die or the connection between the hair cells and the nerve are disconnected. Oh, okay. And so that causes the difficulty. So it's mm. damage to like parts of your ear and auditory system that are like inside your head. Inside. Yeah. But mm. not, not yet in your brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. The snail shell. And then the wire that connects the end of the snail shell. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're learning. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they might have some damage that would originally suggest that they would have a more difficult time understanding speech and noise. Um, but we want to know, can they compensate for that with their musical training? Mm. Yeah. And when you say neural mechanisms, are you looking at like the brain's electrical activity? Okay, so we're looking at what like specifically? alpha um alpha and gamma and beta waves mm -hmm. um just to see in what areas of the brain they're utilizing these. So is that like EEG? Yeah, we do all EEG work. Mm -hmm. okay. So electroencephalography. <laughs> um, basically just looking at Far field, so it's scalp potential. Um, so you have like an electrode on your scalp. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, electrodes on your scalp with some gel, mm -hmm. and reading, you know, those brain waves. So yeah, versus, okay. I mean, we also do near field, which would be ECOG. Mm -hmm. So patients who have severe epilepsy, they get implanted with electrodes mm -hmm. to monitor their uh, their epilepsy and see what areas it's originating from. But while they're implanted, they're just sitting in the hospital for like two weeks. And so instead of just having them sit there, we ask them to research. And so. those electrodes are, are right on the brain itself. Oh, yeah. Right? And like we're, in, we're actually doing yeah. deep. Well, not deep, we. So I'm even, not a part of it at all. Right. The surgeons are doing <laughs> deep electrodes. Yep. And so it's actually going down into the brain. Gotcha. Yeah. So recording directly from directly a region of interest. Directly from a region of interest. Wow. Yeah. So you get really good recordings because there's not a lot of noise right. versus when you do EEG, there's a lot of like, it's got to get through the scalp. It's got to get through the yeah. scalp. you got a lot of noise. you got, if someone has a lot of hair. It's a broader field. It's a lot more like yeah. spatial resolution and temporal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But EEG generally has pretty good, has good like timing. Temporal, temporal. resolution. Yeah. Timing. Yeah. So like we, can tell when when an event happens right when it happens mm -hmm. but scalp eeg is not good for like telling where in the brain really something right. is mm -hmm. originating so exactly. spatial resolution so low. you can do um what's it called something analysis spectral analysis <laughs> I <can't laughs> that's, remember what, the that's name. where my mind is what you that's can okay. you can do like um Analysis to tell you what regions are being utilized. So like which, oh, got like it. these electrodes in this region are what oh. showed us this activity. Mm -hmm. So I could say like, oh yeah, that came from temporal lobe, but I can't be like, oh, specifically that came from. I think, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. Don't know. Sure. So gotcha. that's like really specific that you wouldn't get from EEG. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. So when you go like directly recording from the cortex, when they have like a surgery to implant yeah. like electrodes. You can tell, like, okay, yes. this signal is coming from right, right where we put this electrode. Right. <laughs> so, um, I did a pilot study with one ECOG patient, and um, we looked at the electrode that was on posterior hippocampus. 
Mm-hmm. So like we knew exactly where Take that the back of was. The camp yeah. So we knew where it was and we could get the recordings from that exact electrode. So it's, it's a lot better, but obviously you're not going to have a ton of epileptic patients that aren't going undergoing this surgery. They have to open the scalp, insert the electrodes, wait for two weeks and then take out part of the brain. So that's really, really invasive. Yeah. <laughs> About to, as invasive as it gets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So to like recap, I guess. Oh yeah. Sorry. That went all over the no, place. No, no, it's good. It's good. So you are for your CSD degree looking at different musicians and some have damage and no damage to their auditory no, systems. So we're actually looking at people who have normal hearing by the standard hearing test. Mm-hmm. So every participant has to have completely normal hearing, which is defined by negative 10 to positive 20 decibels. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's just a range that that somebody has decided is normal. And that's what we're calling normal. And so everybody has these quote unquote normal hearing. Um, but musicians might have damage that doesn't show up on an audiogram, which is what's called like mm. hidden hearing loss because it doesn't show up on an audiogram, but they still have had that noise damage affecting them. Mm-hmm. So it's not picked up by the scale. Yeah. It's not picked up by your normal. But how do you test. know they have damage? Well, that's the thing. We don't know for oh, sure that they have damage. Oh, I see. So you're guessing because they're a musician that they because they have, have a lot of noise exposure. Mm. Yeah, they might have damage. That's okay. And then so you're recording these waves of activity to try to see how these musicians musicians are processing versus yeah. normal healthy. Well, we're doing seven tests. It's a three hour experiment. Oh. <laughs> It's a long time. Wow. I feel bad for <laughs> <Yeah>. our participants. <laughs> I do feel bad. Some of our participants, they come in and sleep and they wake up in strange bedrooms. Right? <laughs> so it's like, you know, 12 hours and it's like, sorry. <laughs> okay. So I feel yeah. a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> so take some of the stress <laughs> off. Um, we're doing seven experiments and some of the experiments are looking at the overall health of right. the hair cells. So That's what I was going to say. How are you going to validate that yeah. there's damage? We're looking at the overall health of the hair cells and that's using... A test called distortion product autoacoustic emissions. Mm-hmm. Um, what a name! I, what a name. I have no um, idea. A muscle and a half. Nice. <laughs> yeah, can you elaborate? What is that? Um, so okay, when you put <laughs> when you put sound into the ear, the hair cells actually send an echo back. Mm-hmm. You can measure that echo with certain equipment. Whoa. So a healthy hair cell will send an echo back. A damaged hair cell won't. Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. So yeah. So yeah, that'll be crazy if these musicians have damaged hair cells but incredibly good um whatever you define like auditory processing yeah so is the idea that like these be. musicians with that damage might like have a different like like brain yeah. region relationship of like talking to each other mm-hmm. we think compensate that that's what we're thinking damage. that they might compensate for their damage to because they practice most of these musicians are practicing daily for hours mm-hmm. yeah and so um we're thinking they might have a compensation strategy what to overcome. They, I don't know what it would be. What if they don't have damage? Like, have you tested that and like seen that they do? Well, yeah. no, actually okay. we haven't. Yeah, sorry. But we're gonna we're gonna test. Um, hopefully, well, we want an N of ninety, but we'll probably test about 120, 150. Mm-hmm. Okay, so okay, gotcha. That's good. Increase your power. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
That's so cool. Which I'm doing all the data collection for. So it's been very three fun. hours. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that how you would describe um, it? Interesting. Interesting. I feel like we're getting closer. It's been good. No, it's been good. <laughs> I've been I, I love patient interaction yeah. when it comes to research. Yeah, that's great. So and so that's just one. That's just one. <laughs> so what's the sec- Give us let's, another one. Let's tap into the second one. Okay. So the second one, I'm going to be looking at um, TBIs, essentially, in, in a roundabout way, I guess, of saying that. So What's I'm, TBI? Oh, sorry. A traumatic brain injury. Um, so like when I worked for the Army. Concussions and stuff. Concussion yeah, a is bit mild. More, it's a mild TBI. Yeah. So yeah. Okay, okay. a little bit more severe than milds. Um, okay. But when I worked for the army, so many of my patients came back from deployment with TBIs. Mm. And when it comes to auditory aspect of TBIs, there's really no way to help. It's, it's pretty sad. I mean, I, there are ways to help. I shouldn't say that. Let me retract that statement. <laughs> there's not, there's not a lot of research on like TBIs and how to rehabilitate yeah the literature is still growing we yeah totally yeah. understand absolutely okay, yeah. great we're still confused about it yeah, we're still confused about it i'm still super confused about it um so we're going to use tms which is transcranial magnetic stimulation essentially it's just this coil that produces like magnetic stimulation in the brain <laughs> and that can alter nerve function mm. so depending you can either inhibit or cause what we're looking at is like a virtual lesion. So like a fake TBI Mm -hmm. in a certain area of the brain, Mm -hmm. or you can enhance. So like right now it's being used to treat depression. So Mm -hmm. they like excite the nerves in, in an area to enhance nerve function, to help treat the symptoms or to treat depression essentially. Mm -hmm. Although it has a very low success rate, but that's another story. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So yeah, we're going to use TBIs to create like a fake, or not TBIs, we're going to use TMS to create a fake TBI and see if that alters therapy, like their function in mm-hmm. certain tests. And if it does, then we can use that correlation to say like this area is really known or is correlated with this function. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully switching the TMS to enhance mode. If to you will, validate that. To validate, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then use it to enhance their ability to under, to do this function. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Okay. Does, does TMS like doing that stimulation to create like a lesion? So that area of the brain like is not working yeah. or functioning. Um, does that show then like if it, then whatever function you're looking for, doesn't happen or ability doesn't happen. It shows that that region is like necessary. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's like correlating the two. Okay. So it's like if we zap (laughs) that region of the brain and they're no longer able to do the function of the test that we are giving them, but they previously could, then we're correlating that area with that function, essentially. For the listener, does TMS hurt or like what? Okay. So I have gone through. Yeah, I have gone through (laughs) TMS personally, and um. Especially wherever it's located, it can cause discomfort or not. So, like where they use it for depression is dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex. That's okay. like kind of above the eye, like on the temple ish. And it 
contracts all the muscles on that side of the face. And it's mm. quite uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's hilarious because, like, your whole jaw is moving. Um, or at least mine was. Yeah. But then the area that we wanted to look at was mid-temporal gyrus, so, like, in the auditory cortex. And it was too painful for my PI because it sits right on the temporalis muscle, and that mm. contracts that, and it was quite painful for him. Mm. So we have to have... We have to find certain areas that are not as painful as others mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Have you thought about the ultrasound stimulation? Yes. So I'm glad you brought that up. We no, are going to incorporate focus, focus ultrasound stimulation into the project. Hopefully um, we are collaborating with somebody who is just acquired a focus ultrasound machine nice. so um yeah hopefully we will be incorporating that with tms yeah. so cool yeah. what is the, the benefit over yeah. tms to the ultra so ultrasound mm-hmm. is not quite painful like you're not gonna like with tms you you have that sensation that someone like snapped a rubber band on your face mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. a good way of describing it yeah. that was yeah. very visceral yeah. <laughs> but with ultrasound, you don't really have that. And ultrasound can be more focused and can go deeper versus gotcha. TMS is very superficial. It's only like, I think three or four centimeters deep. Not, yeah. sure, not sure about the range, but I think it's pretty superficial. Yeah, I think it's like two to three or something. Yeah, two to three mm. centimeters. We can fact yeah. check it later. <laughs> yeah, we will. So um, ultrasound is better because then we can reach those, those deeper structures. And TMS, it hits like everything on its way to the it's place really it's broad yeah so it's actually really broad so like if you want to hit just one specific area you're actually going to hit that area and everything around it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. whereas ultrasound ultrasound like you already said it's more focused as long as you don't have anything in the pathway to like divert those wavelengths like it will go to where you want it to go so like if you hit a stint is that what you mean or like if someone has a chunk of hair or like really thick skin in that oh, area, okay. like it could disrupt that. Um, so like you want to kind of get it like down to the scalp and gotcha. Yeah. So it wouldn't work if somebody has like um, some sort of surgical steel in. I'm not sure, honestly, but mm. I just know that like what I've been told, which I don't know if it is valid or not, but yeah. what I've been told is that it can be disrupted by like thick hair, which is a huge problem in EEG sounds, anyways. Yeah. Um, but there is somebody out there who I don't necessarily want to name drop, but <laughs> she's working on getting EEG compatible with really thick, dense hair, oh. which is amazing. Yeah. That's yeah. what we Thank need. Goodness. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Have to make the technology inclusive to exactly. all populations. Yeah. We need, right. it needs to be a lot more inclusive. So. Yeah. yeah. It's a whole nother thing too. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Diversity in science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even if your hair isn't like thick or coarse or uh, i don't know how to, the names of the textures for hair mm-hmm. <laughs> confused about textures for hair <laughs> uh, but like my principal investigator right my pi is uh has just a, a much thicker head of hair mm-hmm. than anybody else in the lab and so trying to get eeg to work just on on her it's is hard. is difficult it takes oh, a lot yeah. longer than anybody else in the lab so well, when your penances are really high and so you're yeah. not getting a great signal like is it actual coming f- is it actually coming from the scalp or are you just recording noise in the hair right like, you don't all these artifacts, are these artifacts? it's, it's a lot yeah. yeah yep so. it's great for bald men 
It's yeah. perfect for bald. It's perfect for bald Only everyone yeah. is bald. So if we could just shave everybody's head before yeah. an experiment. No. Just in the pursuit of science. Yeah. Really quickly could everyone yeah. do this. I mean, really. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, we'll give you $50 to shave <laughs> <Yeah>. your head. That's <laughs> all we could afford. It's <laughs> interesting. I guess I'll say my final, like, Dang. my end goal for all of this is to come up with, like, a rehabilitative technique for people. So whether that be for people with uh, TBIs, like how can we make something so that they can return to a better quality of life or musicians, like how can we take their training and apply it to other people who are struggling in this area? Mm -hmm. I think the whole goal of both of those dissertations for me is to find a way to improve quality of life for people. Well, I guess this brings up a question. So like we kind of know your background and what you're doing and how you got to this point and what you're doing now. What's uh, your career path looking like oh. with two PhDs and a teaching certificate? Yeah, what are you the, looking to achieve? The end game. Yeah, yeah it'll be three doctorates and a teaching certificate. Yeah. Oh, so like, yeah, that's normal. That's right? normal. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> no, I actually had a professor the other day who was like, so tell me what you're doing right now. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this and this. And I have my AUD. And he goes, are you okay? <laughs> Sometimes I walk upstairs and I'm like, are you okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, teaching, my goal would be teaching and doing research. I want to be PI of a lab and teaching. I, you know, want undergrads and grad students. And I just, be, going through school, I really didn't see a lot of people of color mm-hmm. or queer people of color for that matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they just didn't disclose it, which is totally fair, but yeah. Um, I want to be that person for somebody else. Like that queer woman of color in STEM for yeah. another kid that, you know, didn't think they could get there. So mm-hmm. that's so important. Like, yeah, I feel like you don't think about how important representation is, but it's so like, I remember so I was just like, are gay people doing science? Like, yeah. I wasn't sure. I was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they have to be, but like, what do they do? And like, are they all doing like, queer work like related right. or like are they doing things outside of that <laughs> well and especially like, when you look at like queer communities a lot of it's focused on like queer ac- um not activism like queer activism and like yeah or policy. like social work or policy or social justice or like therapy you know lots of those areas but you're like yeah where are the queer scientists <laughs> yeah yeah i don't think you know until really getting meeting people in science like you don't mm-hmm. hear about no. scientists from the broad spectrum of scientists that exist you know like some programs like the mcnair program help underrepresented folks right but that doesn't encapsulate queer folks no it doesn't um it also doesn't encapsulate a lot of people who are underrepresented yeah actually mm-hmm. yeah um although mcnair is wonderful it is a oh, wonderful gosh. It's, program it's an amazing program i recommend it for anybody who could qualify yeah like fund them completely like, <laughs> yeah you know, absolutely like, how people qualify for mcnair yeah so to qualify for mcnair you have to be either first generation or underrepresented um, like minority group and you have to apply and do an interview and then you get selected for the program and the program actually um, is two years long. The first year is working on your like thesis, if you will. Yeah. And your second year is like applying to grad schools, taking the GRE, um, presenting at a national conference, gotcha. um, refining your paper, um, 
And then they, they provide like a summer stipend. Is that right? They do. Yeah, they do a summer stipend. And this is the thing that I was talking about mm. um, last time we met was uh, I was the editor for the journal because the culminating project oh, alongside yeah. yes. the application process is uh, publication. publication. Wow. Yeah. Right. So That's, it's great. It's a great program. For real. It seems like you holistically understand kind of the grad school environment oh, before absolutely. you even get there yeah. and techniques and ways you can... Yep. really improve yourself mm -hmm. as a scientist. And well, and like they teach you how to write a letter or an email to a professor and they teach you like how to write a personal statement and yep. how to do a CV. And so it's like all these really practical things that you need mm -hmm. that nobody actually teaches you along the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They hash out so many semantics before the semantics become yeah. semantic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's they help program. so much. Mm -hmm. Shout out McNair. Yeah. yeah, shout yeah. Out yeah. McNair. Fund them, please. Fund them. <laughs> How did you know to like apply to it? Did someone tell you? Yes. So my best friend was in the Mint Air program and she was like, hey, you should do this. And I was like, because I was already doing research at the time with a professor and she was like, this will totally help and get you recognized. And I was like, well, okay, why not? I'll do it. Not like fully understanding. And then afterwards, now applying for PhD programs, realizing how beneficial it was. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was a McNair scholar as well. Uh, and, uh, that's why I have so much knowledge about it <laughs> alongside yeah. Kayla. Um, but yeah, mine was some, I was still a creative writing major when I applied. Mm -hmm. Uh, did you know you wanted to go to grad school and you applied? No. Well, uh, well, yes. You want to go to grad school or like if you want to go to med school, which is, you can, you can choose. Yeah. You can choose med school, but I think generally the consensus is the people who are, get accepted into McNair are people who are pursuing PhDs, PhDs, not even okay. considering it. Like they're like, I, Yes, like, you have very to very sure I want right. to do this. Or some or some sort of terminal degree. I have seen some folks come in that are like, oh, I want a terminal degree that ends in a master's. Yeah. What's a terminal degree? Oh, like just ending, like this is the last degree. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. The yeah. highest degree possible okay. for that. Exactly. Okay. Um, Field. <laughs> yeah. And so initially uh, I was approached by a mentor of mine that was like, you're writing really well, like graduate level. So you should apply to this and maybe consider going to graduate school. And I was like, uh, uh, me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm like the only one i'm standing there i'm the only one in the classroom left and i'm like me no way uh <laughs> but uh yeah i i did and it was god mcnair was a blessing in disguise oh, honestly yeah. Yeah, i mean once, it kicks your ass it kicks your ass yeah For sure. <laughs> it kicks uh, it's a shape yeah, yeah it's a shape. <laughs> it kicks everybody's ass yeah um but yeah i, I mean it was monumental in in my feeling able to get to grad school yeah definitely yeah definitely um, I have, I have a, a, a really, uh, this just popped in my head, but okay. I love this question. Um, what going into grad school, did you anticipate to be very hard that ended up being easy? And then what did you anticipate being easy that ended up being very hard? Ooh, gosh, it, that's a great question. Cause I feel like we all have these expectations like oh my god this is okay. this was cake yeah and i was like so stressed this is what i'll say my aud classes were really easy for me i just clicked mm -hmm. so i thought going into grad school all my classes were going to be really easy for me um i can sit here and tell you that that's absolutely not true <laughs> <laughs> um classes have totally no no i'm neurobio yeah oh my gosh <laughs> So classes have been a lot harder than I expected. Mm -hmm. um, what did I think was hard? It's going to be easy. I don't know if I have anything for that. Mm -hmm. I I genuinely kind of knew what I was getting myself into. Right. So I knew it was going to be a lot of hard work. 
I just didn't think classes were going to be as hard as they are. Mm-hmm. It's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done over the AUD for sure. Is the coursework. Just the PhD in general. Oh, it's the see. hardest thing I've ever mm-hmm. done. Yeah. I'm glad you brushed upon that though. Cause I feel like so many people in undergrad are like top of their class, killing classes. It's yeah. like, nah, and it's- then they get to a PhD and they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Psych. Psych. <laughs> Didn't think it was going to be this no, hard. Did you? It's, it's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's, it's been the most rewarding mm-hmm. for sure. And I'm, like I said, I'm only two years in, so maybe I won't be saying that in four years, but yeah, we'll do a follow up. <laughs> we'll do a yeah. follow up and I'll tell you how rewarding. No, I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah. I'll like add just for anyone listening who like maybe didn't do as well in undergrad, like you can also still apply to a PhD. Yes, like I yes, struggled yes, yes, my yes. first two years a little bit and I was like, there's no way I had wanted to go into med school. That was like initially what I wanted. And then I was like, there's no way this is going to like be able to happen because like, I'm not going to be able to graduate with like a three, seven or like above or something. Um, and like, that was just like some benchmark, like number I'd gotten from like looking online or something. Um, but yeah, like, and so I had like met with different professors that like had taught me or like one, I guess in particular where I had gotten I think a D or a C minus in his class. And it was like a neuro class. And I was like, I don't know if I should even be doing this. Like, I'm not sure. And then he told me like a personal story of his own where like, like he just didn't do well (laughs) either. (laughs) And he was like, and I'm here and I'm doing it. And so like, don't let that stop you. Mm -hmm. Like you can still apply and like get into programs and stuff. And so, I mean, I ended up graduating with a three, four because I pulled it around my last two years um with with honors but it was a three four which Let's technically go. now that university would not count but like i was grandfathered <laughs> into it being yes. uh, like still with <laughs> honors and major like three Let's four go. perfect <laughs> yep so really worked out for me but anyway yeah you can still apply for a phd program for sure uh yeah i really want to echo that because for the longest time i didn't even think that i could apply for like a neuroscience PhD because my whole background was in audiology. And I thought like, there's no way anyone's going to take me other than audiology. Mm -hmm. And I just had no faith in that. And then yeah, it just happened that like, wow, I, I can do this. I like, I am capable, which is really hard. Like I said, beginning of the session, like imposter syndrome is super real. Right. right. Yeah. Like (laughs) kicks you hard. Yeah. you know, you should apply and you should apply to many schools and you should keep applying if that's what your dream is. Yeah, definitely. If that's your dream, like you need to go for it. That should be like your only driver, really. Like yeah. if you did poor, like Avery was saying, in coursework, which I have definitely done in my undergrad, yeah. um, even if not, <laughs> you're not in a particular field, like you were elaborating. Yeah, with, change careers, figure it out. Get it, Life is getting more interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so changing Career shouldn't discourage you. Having bad grades shouldn't discourage you. If you want grad school, go to grad school. I mean, I feel like I've lived both those. I've changed a career path, a field, and I've never taken courses in neuroscience, and I had to relearn that. And, um, you know, and I did bad in coursework too. So it, on these two fronts, is grad school worth it? Or even um, can I, is this feasible? And I, I've come to find out, like, if you have that dream, those two should be out the window because that will be a good driver for you i think that's a nice like place to end on is just like why would you even go to grad school (laughs) or like you know like 
yeah, like why do people go to grad school? Like why did you all go to grad school or like choose to do this? <laughs> why? <laughs> Which is a big question. Yeah, that is a big question. Why uh, grad school? Why grad school? Yeah, like why aren't you doing mm. something else? Um, I don't know. I think initially for me there was i mean there was no no thought i joined the army right out of high school and was like cool 20 years of this and i can retire <laughs> yeah it's really easy to say when you're 18 years old feeling great <laughs> right <laughs> right? <laughs> right um so easy to commit <laughs> when you're so young um but you know life life does happen and your your routes do change um so i think mine took a lot of people believing in me initially because i didn't believe in myself and i I sort of talked about this last time is i didn't believe in myself as a scientist um and it took i mean i there's days where i still feel like i'm overcoming that uh especially because my background is is also not directly in neuroscience Mm -hmm. i had a few a couple of neuroscience type courses but most of my stuff was um, clinical psych based Mm -hmm. uh and then the health and mathematics which doesn't directly apply math more so but um like a lot of my health courses were like physical injury repair, not brain stuff. Um, I think I ended up finally choosing to go to graduate school because my mentors saw that I had what it took, the determination and discipline necessary, and sort of fed me that route, (laughs) you know, Um, which makes it feel like it wasn't my own choice. But the whole time Mm -hmm. um, those mentors were cultivating that uh, idea of what it was to be a teacher and a professor and an instructor and all of those things clicking for me and realizing that graduate school was one of the ways I could get to that point and be what they are um, was really like the culminating event for me. Once I realized that being a professor, one, in a lot of ways required a PhD and two, could put me in a position to help other people who felt like me. Mm-hmm. That was my driving force, for sure. I feel like everyone's like, oh, it's so independent. Like, a life isn't independent. Grad school's not independent. You can you make decisions based on your environment. Absolutely. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm glad. I'm like, that's a shout really out cool story. Free will? Yeah. Shout out free will. Free will. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. <laughs> and Kayla, you, yes. Me? What, okay. what's, what's motivating you to go to Why grad school? I, so, I was so unhappy being a clinical audiologist. I, oh, mm-hmm. I hated it. Every day I woke up dreading going to work. And okay. for me, that's not that's not living. Like I am somebody who really values time because it's the only thing that like you really can't get back. Hmm. And that's deep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I learned that on my Italy trip, but that's another story. <laughs> um so I want, you know, we spend most of our time at work. And I wanted the time that I'm doing to be something that I enjoy, that I feel is valuable, that I feel, you know, makes me happy. And so I knew I couldn't be a clinical audiologist anymore. And I knew I wanted to teach. I loved teaching when I was doing clinical audiology. I was teaching courses for the army and I loved that. And so I knew I wanted to teach and, um, neuroscience had always been my dream. Um, so I decided I was going to go after it. And, and that's kind of what led me to here. And I always loved school. School was my favorite thing. But mm-hmm. ideally, just being happy with what I was doing 
from a day-to-day basis is what really mattered to me. That's awesome. Kayla, that was beautiful. Yeah, that was oh, beautiful. thank you. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Oh my God, we should, we should have ended with that. Yeah. <laughs> what a beautiful story. Oh, thanks. Thanks. What about yeah. your scene? Uh, sure, yeah. I think, you know, really thinking about this and what it boils down to is I'm just a curious individual and I'm very driven by um, one, that's like the pursuit of knowledge. I feel like you're put on this planet to understand how it works. Mm-hmm. And I've always had that like innate curiosity of life. Um, and then two is like on the humanitarian front, I want people to feel like they can live their best lives. And some people just unfortunately have a disease or a disorder or something else inhibiting that. And me being um, someone that has seen a lot of different things and different people and different experiences I want to be able to use the pursuit of knowledge, like my innate curiosity to also push um, humans and humanitarian uh, efforts um, so people don't can live their best lives. And I think that's what I want to do is merge the two um, because I'm passionate about both. And I think grad school will afford me the opportunity. Um, And this also being a good mentor and having an impact and influence in a positive direction um, on many, many levels, um, whether that be like um, being a person of color in, in graduate school or being someone that's switching fields, whatever it may be, just uh, in, inspiring people. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons, but yeah, it really boils down to I'm, I'm curious and I want to use that curiosity to help the world. Wow, I mean, tough, tough acts to follow. <laughs> literally, my answer is the same, pretty much as Yasin's, uh, and he said it much more eloquently than <laughs> I'm going to be able to say it. But yeah, I think one time, I someone said that humans are like the sensory organ of the world to like experience itself, and I thought that that was really beautiful. <laughs> and I've always found neuroscience really interesting because of like its relation to how we like sense and perceive things and experience the world. Um, And so, yeah, like I think my just life outlook is that like we're here and we get to be here to just experience what is here and whatever we run into like while we're walking around on this planet. Um, And so that's really cool. And I just want to spend my time like learning about things and using that knowledge that I've been like privileged enough to be able to acquire to help someone else like or help people um and so yeah I like definitely echo Yasin and yeah I think like growing up to you know my family has had a lot of different like a lot of different family members have had like different diagnoses and like struggles that all relate to neuroscience. And so when I was young, like that sparked an interest in neuroscience for me that's just continued on. And so like, and also really drives that like want to learn about this and like see if I can then use that knowledge to like help people. So yeah, Mm, that's it. That's great. That's why I'm here. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) Thanks. Nice. Wow. Excited to see us four in five, Five 10, 15. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Doing, achieving the dream. No, I wanted, yeah. can I splice something in? Like, say something, you can splice it in somewhere else later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, yeah, great. No, I wanted to say, back when we were talking about, like, how 
even if you don't think like you did poor in school or I want to bring up like the disabilities aspect, like Mm. having disabilities. And so I have severe major depressive disorder. It's actually intractable. So treatment resistant and I have generalized anxiety disorder. And so I really struggle with those things a lot on a daily basis. And so I didn't think I was going to be able to go back to grad school on a physical standpoint. Um, But having like the accommodations that I have and like a great psychiatrist and things like that, like I'm actually able to achieve those dreams despite those disabilities. And so that's my other plug in is like, even if you have something that you think is limiting you to go to grad school, like don't let it. Like, yeah, it's been super hard. And like, there are days that I've just had to stay home, but no, like, don't let those things prevent you from like achieving your dreams. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. That's so inspirational. You know what I mean? Like Thanks. to be hope, like, I really hope you become a PI on that front. Just even me as a student right now, if I had like a PI that had that resiliency and to go have these life experiences and achieve so many things like that like that's something i'd put on a pedestal and try to achieve for because you know students that's like always their relationship is you like you always look up to someone yeah so when you can look up to someone that has all of that that's like the best someone to look up to you know yeah i guess you could throw that into my like queer yeah queer woman of color with disabilities in science (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah So I'm saying, like, if that someone can trailblaze that path, like, I feel like it would inspire so many different students. Like, I can do this. I can get over these obstacles. And also, like, just normalizing, like, seeing a therapist and oh, for sure, oh my god, and stuff. Like, especially in grad school, see a therapist, everyone. Yeah, shout out therapists. You need it. You need it. Even if you don't think you need it, you need it. All right. Any any closing words? I guess we. No, thanks for yeah. having me on. This has been super fun. I love it. Can't wait to hear more. Are there any uh, plugs you want to give? Anybody? Any research? Recruiting for any stuff? Yeah, no, you probably need IRB approval. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Never mind, never mind. Um, plugs. What, what any, kind of plugs. Anything you want to say about your research at the end of organizations this? Or or organizations? Organizations? Or? Oh, yeah. I'm starting a brand new organization for grad students. Um, it's name pending possibly <laughs> wow that's a great name thank you uh, possibly qt grads queer trans grad and professional students alliance so the QDs. yeah yeah it's all like for, it. for yeah. grad students because um, right now there isn't one so yeah i think that's super important because like grad students alone just have like their own challenges separate from undergrads mm-hmm. but then also like queer grad students also experience a lot of different challenges so my goal in creating this organization is to um, be like a supportive outlet for students, but also provide real life benefits. So like, I want to do a panel on what it means to be queer in the professional world and like how to navigate those things or how to navigate like adoption or fostering or, um, marriage license, things like that. So that's my goal. So hopefully it happens. That's so awesome. Nice. Well, thank you for being here with us. Yes, yeah, thank you thanks. so much, Kayla. Thanks. Seriously. That concludes today's episode. Please check the show notes for references from our fact check. Catch us at the start of each month for a new episode. And if you have any questions or inquiries, contact us at educatedbutconfused at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. You didn't like that triple berry breezer?